Can you hear that funny noise that you're saying coming out of it? It's just a bit of a whistle, but it's not too loud. It's okay? It's very clear. All right. Morning, everyone. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will come and be amongst us. So that my words will be yours. And that um, the people here will receive them gladly. Pray in Jesus' name. If I was to proclaim to you the time of the Lord's favour has come, what would you be expecting? How would you react? Would you be a bit excited? I think if someone said that to me, I'd be expecting some pretty good things. Uh, special gifts or blessings from the Lord or something like that. But wait, what if I told you there's even more? It's the year of Jubilee. What does that mean? Well, that sounds pretty good. I think that would increase my expectation even more. But wait, there's even more. It's time to return everything to God. Well, hang, hang on a minute. Those first two sounded pretty good, but I'm not sure about that third one. Um, no. Today I believe that um, these concepts, the time of the Lord's favour, the year of Jubilee, it's time to return everything to God, is what Jesus' ministry is. And if we want to follow Jesus, this is what our church's ministry should be as well. So let's explore the scriptures. Um, just to give you some background, before this scripture in Luke, um, Jesus was baptised, led into the wilderness and tempted by Satan. And then we have this passage in Luke 14. Then, uh, Luke 4, verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. <clears throat> Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual <clears throat> to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favour has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Earlier this morning, it uh, gave me great joy um, to participate in the commissioning and blessing of Claire and Alicia and the passion that God has placed in their hearts to share the good news of Jesus here in Macclesfield um, and wherever they go. And in the reading that we had, that's fulfilling the first part of that, where Jesus says, For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. How can anyone be saved unless they first hear the gospel message? 
So what else does Jesus promise in this passage? He then goes on to talk about he's proclaiming that the captives will be released. Um, in the original in Isaiah 61 where Jesus was quoting from this was undoubtedly a reference to Israel being freed from slavery in Egypt and how to remind them that how God delivered them in mighty and miraculous ways but we are also delivered from slavery to sin and fear and death into the promised land of abundant life in God. And I forget who the story was about, but it was a prominent evangelist, I think it was back um, last century, or I can't remember what it was, but someone shared this story with me recently, or I read it somewhere. There was a well-known evangelist who had a, a real passion, like Claire and Alicia, for reaching out and telling the news to people and many people were coming to Christ through um, his ministry and his work and he'd come to a new place and he was meeting some new people um, they met in a, in a room and people said how come you know, your ministry is so effective what are you doing that's different and he said well have a look out the window he said what do you see and he said, I don't know, there's people walking in the park, some people walking their dogs, kids are playing. And he goes, is that all you see? And he said, yeah, yeah, I can't really see it, there's trees and all this stuff. But, um, and he said, well, what do you see? And he said, I see many people that don't know Jesus. I see many people that don't even know where they're going, to heaven or hell. And God doesn't want any of them to end up in hell. And I'm going to do my best to make sure I bring as many people over to Jesus as I can. So in the next section here he says, he proclaims the captives will be released, that the blind will see. And I think that story shows us that even as Christians, we can still be blind to the heart of God, the way God sees other people and what God wants. And of course, it also literally means Jesus healed people literally from their physical blindness, but more importantly, from their spiritual blindness. So they could see him as he really is, the Messiah, the Saviour, God in the flesh, the truth, the way and the life. He also promised to set the oppressed free. Oppressed can mean many things. Uh, persecuted, downtrodden, enslaved, exploited or abused. But here he's saying he's giving people the power to overcome this situation and in particular Satan and the demonic lies and temptations that we face in this life. And then finally he proclaims the time of the Lord's favour has come. And you might be wondering why I was talking about the year of Jubilee before and returning everything to God. When he proclaimed this is the time of the Lord's favour, the people 
in his day would have realised that he was talking about the year of Jubilee, which is mainly uh, detailed in Leviticus 25. In the year of Jubilee, every 50 years, so Alex just turned 50, so. <laughs> it's your year of Jubilee, buddy. <laughs> so happy birthday, good you a week. And um, during that year, all debts would have been forgiven. Wouldn't that be awesome? The banker said, Slaves were set free. The land was given back to its original owners. Whoever the tribe of Israel, where, you, uh, where they first drew lots and settled in the land, people returned to their original tribe and, and family, and the land was given back as well. And this was symbolic of Jesus' ministry, that he has cancelled our debt, our sin, by what he's done on the cross. We've been set free from sin and death. And, as I mentioned, it's time to return everything to God. Because who is the original owner of everything? Who created everything? Of course, God. And this concept was set up in Israel as well. In Israel, the land was owned by God, and Israel is described as God's precious possession as well. So, in this, the whole section in Leviticus 25, where it talks about the year of Jubilee, uh, in verse 23 it says, The land must never be sold on a permanent basis, for the land belongs to me. You are only foreigners and tenant farmers working for me. Is that the concept that we have of our possessions and our lives? And then in verse 42 he said, The people of Israel are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. So if we want to follow Jesus, we surrender our lives and our rights to God to be his servants and be faithful witnesses and stewards of all that he has given us to serve him, to fulfil his purposes revealed in today's scripture reading. We're handing him our possessions, our talents, our gifts, our family, our whole life is given to be used by God. I don't know about you, I find that very challenging on a daily basis. In, a, in the original Isaiah verse, and in also in some versions, like the New King James Version has, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, is in this uh, scripture as well. Do you know anyone that's brokenhearted? Have you ever felt brokenhearted? I think you'll agree we don't have to look too far to find brokenhearted people. There is a great need in the world around us for people to know Jesus, hear his message, and be transformed. And then finally Jesus claimed, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Jesus is declaring that this scripture is revealing what he is doing and what his purpose is. It also gives us the goal of our church, which is to continue to let Christ to do his work through us. So let's just remind us of those things again. Bring good news to the poor, 
release the captives, give sight to the blind, set the oppressed free, and proclaim that the time of the Lord's favour has come. So how are you feeling now? Are you still feeling expectant and excited for what God's going to do? Well, I know for myself many years I was resistant to what God wanted me to do in this church. It's taken a long time for me to find my place in this world and my role in the church. Even though I believed in Jesus from a young age, it wasn't until my late teens that I started to seriously consider what it meant to be a Christian and follow Jesus. But when the crunch came to trust God with everything, the fear of the unknown held me back from fully surrendering everything to God's will and way. Like the Israelites, I saw the promised land and it looked too scary. I wandered in the desert for many years. It wasn't as if God wasn't with me, but I wasn't being all that I could be. It wasn't until I came here, I suppose a bit over a year ago now, and I decided I don't want to turn away from anything that God wants in my life. Yes, sometimes I feel completely out of my depth and inadequate. But most importantly, I am believing in the promises of God and that he is so much bigger than our fears and the problems we face. So what has made the difference for me? Firstly, I think being baptised in the Holy Spirit has made an enormous difference in my life. And Luke 1.8 says... But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now I'm properly empowered by the Spirit to serve Christ effectively. Doesn't mean that I don't make mistakes or I do everything right, but I know that God is with me. Also, I believe the encouraging and nurturing environment here at Living Word has made a big difference as well. So I want to say a special thank you, especially uh, to Daryl and Anne, for seeing God's potential in me, but also to all of you as well for your love, support and encouragement. Thank you. So I want to ask you, what is the passion what is the gifting, the calling that God is placing in your heart? Where is your place and role in the body of Christ? We need the whole church body to be working properly to be effective witnesses to Christ in our community and beyond. So we've heard this morning that Claire and Alicia want to go out and plant the seed of God's word. But if people receive that gladly, then we'll need people to water it, to fertilise it. And as it grows, to prune the trees so that it bears good fruit. So where do you see your place in this church? I encourage you to speak to me if, you, if there's something you want to pray about and work through. So where are we now? As we've uh, talked about, um, we had a message in our church last week that we're like a lamb or a child meaning we're still only a young church just starting out we need to trust God as our guide and protector I'm just going to pray for us
just going to tell you a little parable. There was two brothers. Um, their father passed away and left his property to his two sons. But they couldn't agree, they couldn't work together, and so they split the farm in half. One, each son took a half each. One son was very careful about how he went about things and always sought to honour and please the Lord and live with peace with his neighbours. The other son only wanted to grow his farm as quick as he could, using any means he could to make his farm bigger, including buying his neighbour's properties. At the time of harvest, the son who had the smaller farm had a bigger harvest than he expected and was sold for good money due to the quality of the harvest. The other son with a large property rubbed his hands because he expected a large harvest and to make lots of money. But when the harvest came in, it was very small because most of it was weeds that were of no use, which were thrown out and burnt in the fire. Because of his large expenses and low returns, he had to sell his inheritance. So we may think because we're only small, we're just starting out that we can't do much or, you know, God's not going to use us for much, but don't despise small beginnings. Size doesn't matter to God. Uh, I think I've talked recently about we can't grow often without getting out of our comfort zone. And sometimes that does hurt. Uh, in the look up, I talk a little bit about pain and how none of us wants to go through it, but somehow God uses whatever's happening in our life for his purposes and sometimes that pain draws us closer to him and like an athlete that has to work hard to push through the pain barrier um, to make himself stronger and perform better, sometimes we will have to face those things as well. So size doesn't matter to God. He cares though about what kind of crop we're growing, how we're growing it, and the quality of the produce. You may have a massive crop, but if it's all weeds, what a waste of time and effort because it will be thrown into the fire. And in Luke 3, John the Baptist, talking about Jesus, says, He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. Going back to the analogy that the church is Christ's body, do you know what the fastest growing cells in the body are? Okay. <laughs> it's actually cancer. And you know what cancer does? It destroys the body. So there's no point of having growth for growth's sake. And we need to be careful about what we're growing. We need action, but it needs to be directed and managed carefully to produce good fruit. And if we look at the example of Mary and Martha, Martha was very anxious and cross with Mary for not helping her when she was preparing things, when she had guests at her house. And she was cross 
with Mary. But Jesus says, Mary had chosen a better thing, which was to sit at his feet and learn from him. So sometimes, you know, I've seen it so often in church, oh, what are we going to do? We've got to do this and that. But sometimes, you know, we're all at different maturity levels. If, like, I wouldn't send my kids out to work <laughs> because they're too young. They've still got to learn stuff. So sometimes the right thing is what Mary did, which was to sit at Jesus' feet and learn from him to be trained up. Or if you use the analogy of a soldier, when you first get enlisted into the army, you don't just get your machine gun and get sent out into the battlefield. There's a whole pile of training to do to learn how to be effective. So we need to be mature, well-trained and equipped properly to do God's work. And unless our work is directed by Jesus, it will prove of no value for building the kingdom of heaven. When we are ready, however, what should we expect? We come back to the earlier reading this morning, that the good news is preached, captives are released, the blind will see, the oppressed are set free, and we proclaim the time of the Lord's favour has come. Amen. Amen.